When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Winning Plays podcast on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider for the NBA's winningest franchise. Winning Plays back yet again after the Celtics crushed the 76ers in Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Semifinals. My name is Brian Robb, joined today by formerly of the Winning Plays pod, now the ringer superstar, Michael Pina. Thrilled to have him back on the show for the first time this postseason. We almost had a full reunion part. Hopefully we'll have that later this postseason run of Rich. Stay tuned for that. But for now, Mike, it's great to see your face. And uh, are you responsible for just bringing out this absolute beat down in game two by the uh, the Celtics on, on the Sixers last night? B-Rob, happy to be here. I wish I could take credit. I I think the one day of rest in between game one and game two and what that did to James Harden's body probably is the bigger culprit here for Philadelphia, along mm. with Joel Embiid looking like a total shell of himself because of <laughs> a knee injury that he he said, I think he said after the game, and this was reported during game one, four to six weeks was the time. Can we start there, him. by the way? Sure. Like, yikes. Big time yikes. <laughs> to, for him to admit that open, like, yeah, I shouldn't be here. You shouldn't see me for a month. And I'm like, whoa. Like, based on what we saw last night, like, what does that mean for the rest of the series right now? If like, is this how much better can this actually get? Let's okay, let's jump in. Talk Embiid. I mean, he wins the MVP. He reportedly says, I'm back to his teammates. And I do wonder, kind of half jokingly, if that tweet by Chums is like kind of pressured Embiid to playing in this game because, you know, you don't want to keep him out for too long because. There's the tendency, of course, if he's going to play in the series, there's a tendency for him to get out of shape. And if he were to come back and have this type of performance in a game six or a game seven, if the Sixers were able to push it that far, he would be ineffective and kind of throw everything off kilter for that team. But I just I don't think that that was a blip. I don't think that that was I think he said, you know, we're getting glad to get this out of the way. I don't think his knee is going to be 100% by game three. And I think he can go off adrenaline and he's super talented and he hit some really tough jumpers in this game, long twos that kind of were his bread and butter during the regular season. But I thought that the Celtics um, did a really good job. Like when they weren't driving at him and challenging him, which they did in the first half, I think five or six times and he blocked all of the shots. 
they started to realize, okay, he can't come out to the perimeter. So there was one play where I think Brogdon gets it blocked in the near the end of the second quarter. And they run out and Tyrese Maxey gets a bucket on the other end off the defensive play. And then uh, Celtics call timeout. And the first play, the ATO that Joe Missoula calls is uh, running Jalen Brown off a wide pin down set by Al Horford. And Embiid can't do anything about it. Al Horford sets a great screen. Jalen Brown is free, knocks down the three-pointer. And that's just how you got to beat this team because Embiid's not going to be moving on the perimeter at all. He was switching a little bit in the third quarter when they got really desperate and things started to kind of unravel for them. That's just not a recipe for success for 48 minutes for this team. So I just wonder, um, is Paul Reed healthy Paul Reed a better option and trying to recreate some of the magic you had in game one with Harden. I don't know. It's, it's tough. It's kind of, I, I thought that the Celtics, even with a healthy Embiid should be considered a heavy favorite in this matchup. So I, I don't know where they turn, where the Sixers turn from here. If Embiid is not going to be himself on the offensive end. Yeah. It's, to your point, it's like you go back to the regular season matchups and before MB had that 50-point game, like the Celtics, this is why the Sixers were like a dream matchup for them in terms of like with this roster where you just are constantly, Embiid has nowhere, obviously he's a great rim protector, but you he has to guard the perimeter against this team. And you can see, you even see Joe Mazzula just going even smaller and smaller last night with even having a lot of three-guard lineups out there at points. And when those guys have it going or playing confidently when Derek white is feels good about a shot and Malcolm Brogdon, you know, stops going at the rim and actually, you know, finds the high quality shots at the perimeter that are open there. Then there, that's a problem for Embiid when he's fully healthy. Now, when he, this version of Embiid, which to your point, how much better is he going to get in two days? Like, it's not like this is like, if anything, it might over get worse over the course of the series when he's playing 30, 35 minutes a night. It, it begs a lot of questions and I don't know we'll like some really tough decisions for Doc Rivers to go as this thing goes on. Cause if he, if they lay another egg in game three now with Embiid looking like this, then it's like, what, like, are you going to turn your back on the MVP? Like, I don't even like, I can't imagine how that would go over, but it might, it could conceivably be the best option for like this team to make it a, a series. Yeah. I, it's just, it's kind of amazing that, this just looking at the Celtics real quick, that they had such a dominant performance um, in a game where Jason Tatum was such a non-factor. You would think that on a night like this with the magnitude, it was that he would have played a significant role. Um, and like you talked about the three guard lineups, right? Like those were kind of forced upon um Joe Missoula because of Tatum's foul trouble. Right. And uh, what was he? One for seven, seven points, something like that. He started the game very aggressive. He had the and one where Embiid closed out to him in the corner. He decked it and finished in the paint. That was a great play. He went at Embiid a couple minutes later, drew a foul. And like, I think he's... it's not rocket science to say he's very important to this series, but even more so important is the fact that the 
one of the big adjustments that the Sixers, I think, may need to make in this series is like they're getting absolutely nothing from PJ Tucker. And PJ Tucker's role is fundamentally to bother Jason Tatum or whoever's going off. And I just wonder, like, if you go away from PJ Tucker, which they may need to do because the Celtics just are not defending him. They're not guarding him at all. Um, That just opens up a door for Tatum to suddenly look like the MVP candidate that he was during the regular season. And if you go three guards with Harden, Maxi, Melton, something like that, which has had success during the regular season, that's just like feast or famine for Tatum and Brown. And I, I don't know. I just, I think there's not a lot of options, honestly, for the Sixers team. Um, Like I don't think Niang can be a, a big factor in this series because of just how ruthless they will be attacking him. Tucker's offense is non-existent. And I don't think you can justify his big minutes with, the offensive rebound and the second chance opportunities he presents, because I think the Celtics have done a pretty good job, honestly, rebounding in the series. And they were the best defensive rebounding team in the NBA this season. So I don't really know where they go. Um, Tobias Harris can't guard Tatum also. So <laughs> like, it's just, there's all these different, like there's targets everywhere for Tatum. There's targets everywhere, like up and down the road. Yeah. I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's wild that he had a bad game. They blew them out and he will not play this poorly again. Like this is a dream matchup for him. So, and he had a great game one. So I, I, yeah, I I just think it's a really bad sign for the Sixers. If Tatum plays like he did and they win by like 30 points or whatever they did. Yeah. You had Tatum prior season low 19 minutes. Um, did not play the last 18 minutes of the game after getting the foul trouble and the Celtics just blowing doors in that third quarter. Al Horford, miserable shooting night, one of eight from three, two of 10 on top of the Tam thing. And it all didn't matter because you started with smart being aggressive, like getting the best version of smart in that first half, like, like good or bad. He was taking shots, but he was, he was making them and taking advantage in the post, which is can be a strength room when he has it going down there. So he kind of carried them offensively early on, and then they just patched the torch in the third quarter when the three started falling for White and Brogdon got red hot. And I think the other guy we should definitely talk about here is Grant Williams. Um, Hell yeah. Emerging from the darkness of Joe Mazzula's, like, sometimes doghouse here. This is the series all year long that everyone's like, all right, you're going to need Grant Williams against the Sixers. Only played four minutes in game one um, for some reason, even though. Al Horford had a rough game and I guess MB didn't play. So that, you know, obviously the Sixers were going a lot smaller there, but he, he was great. Um, and he got he huge played 29 minutes tonight. And I think that this is a series where you're like, Oh yeah, this is why Grant Williams is a, a pretty prominent part of the last two long playoff runs for this team. And last year and back in 2021, he had that huge energy play hit the floor, grabbed a loose ball at the end of the first quarter that led to a Marcus Smart three. Um, And then Marcus had that uh, play where he challenged and beat at the rim, got it blocked, got it back, hit the fall away. They open up the second quarter with a backdoor 
lob to Marcus. So Marcus played great, really. Marcus played, I thought, tremendously offensively, as you said. Um, but yeah, Grant, did anyone ask Joe? Like, what is the, um, I'm obviously not covering this series, but like, what is the rationale when Missoula is ever asked about Grant Williams' minutes and the four minutes that he played in uh, game one were so curious to me because he subs in in the first quarter or sec- early second quarter, I can't remember, and then um, switches on to Harden. The only play I remember from him is he switches on to Harden, guards him okay, Harden hits a step back too, and that was it. He gets the the hook and doesn't return to the game and Sam Hauser's getting his minutes. And I just like, don't understand. Um, I like, I don't get it because Grant Grant's really good. Grant's really valuable. Grant makes winning plays. Uh, Grant can shoot threes and his defense against Embiid or Harden. That's what makes him so valuable. He's a very versatile defender, moves his feet, stays in front of guys, very physical. Uh, I just don't understand why it wasn't a part of the team in game one, um, let alone the Hawks series. I I just think he's a really good player. Yeah, so he was asked about Grant last night after that game, and this was his uh, uplifting quote about Grant from from Drummozil here. Grant plays a role in our team. When he plays, when he shoots the ball at a high clip and doesn't pass it up, we need him to shoot it. And he did a great job of that tonight. So I think for whatever reason, Grant, like they... That's not his val- Like I, I know. It's but... like he, the, the, Joe Mazzula raves about a lot of guys. He doesn't rave about Grant to the same level, even when he plays long games and games like that. Um, whether what's that, whether there's something about, you know, Grant obviously pining for playing time earlier in the year when, you know, being he was being jerked around a little bit in the rotation. Um, I don't know what that is, but I agree. Like at this point in this series, defensively, if Al Horford is not hitting three, like Grant Williams, like Grant Williams was their best big last night, like, or your most important big in terms of like stretching the floor and being able to be versatile guard everyone on the Sixers defense, which I think, if especially as the series goes on and they trend smaller and go with some of those three guard looks like you talked about, Mike, like Grant's going to have, that's the guy you can probably count on the most defensively to handle any look within that group. Yeah. And it's just like, I wouldn't even focus on, I mean, for free from behind the three point line is, is terrific. I just wouldn't even focus on that. Like I think just defensively and in those like in between moments he usually makes a positive has a positive impact and like he should be a part of the rotation uh he should be playing big minutes he i would imagine like i i just don't think it should be matchup dependent with him personally and i think you can get enough offense when he's on the floor absolutely he started to show things beyond just being a spot up three-point shooter earlier this season he can put it on the deck he can make plays uh he was finishing like in the paint in last year's postseason i just maybe his confidence is shot and he's not really doing that stuff but like the overemphasis on his offensive impact kind of takes away for me um why he's so valuable and what he can bring to the team and especially if you're reducing rob williams minutes when you don't need to play him or like you said 
if Horford isn't doesn't have it, um, Grant's just it happens when you're 37 years old. Like he's just not going to have it every night in the playoffs. Absolutely, and I don't know about you, like. I would trust Grant more in a situation like the last play or last offensive possession that the Sixers had in game one. Like I trust Grant on an Island more than I do Horford. I think Horford's value on defense. Yeah, he can switch, but they clearly like him more in a drop these days. And he had that big block coming over um, on Harden on a Harden drive blow by like that's, where Horford really shines in my opinion and Horford can guard and beat in the post, et cetera, with help. But like, I just think that Grant is as good as anyone and he showed it last year. It's not like he's worse. Um, So yeah, I just wish he played more. He's a really good player. Horse this last night too, on top of that. So that's like, again, you, he played like 35 minutes total in that Hawk series. And you could kind of see the di- defensive identity of this team up before last night in the last four or five games was kind of had turned to crap. And I think it's no coincidence that Grant wasn't on the floor for the vast majority of those games to your point, Mike. And now I think it's clear that he should be in the rotation. And I don't know. I'm going to throw this out there. This is this isn't going to matter here. Did Payne Pritchard as the ninth man of the rotation after we saw after fourth fourth quarter guards I've heard that last night. Obviously, completely meaningless. I still think if the Sixers are throwing junk zones at you and go smaller in this series, I'd almost rather have Pritchard and than Hauser, like in a lot of those spots in terms of just the the playmaking capacity. I know he, he's he's pulling me back in after uh, putting on a show in the in, in garbage time last night. Yeah, I, I think Peyton Pritchard's really good. Like. I'm over here in New York. I'm attending these Knicks Heat games. I'm watching Gabe Vincent go off. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I don't know. I think Peyton Pritchard's as good as Gabe Vincent. In a lot, like, I, I don't think that's like that controversial of a Definitely statement. Definitely better on offense. Yeah. So I think Peyton Pritchard's really good. Um, it's just kind of like he's not Malcolm Brogdon, right? Like Malcolm Brogdon had a really good game. Yeah. Last night shot the ball really well. Um, was aggressive, probably a little too aggressive at times. And it is interesting when he's on the floor with Tatum and Jalen, which you're kind of having to play more in the postseason than you did in the regular season. Um, his decision-making in those units is, uh, is interesting at times where he thinks that he's the best offensive player on the court. Um, but he's really good. And so uh, more to your point, like I think Hauser's all the metrics have suggested that Hauser's fine when he's uh, on an island with someone and there is value in kind of inducing or coaxing the opponent to go into ISO hero ball against him. But there are limitations with Sam Hauser for sure. And beyond like he'll hit threes, but he doesn't really do anything else. I think that someone like Pritchard, who's a very good outside shooter, can hit pull-ups, can grab offensive rebounds, can uh, do everything off the bounce that you want from someone who entered the league as a prototypical point guard. 
Like he brings just a different element for sure. And so size wise, there's an issue there, but he also fights defensively and right. he has throughout his career. So I don't know, like I wouldn't it's mind probably not gonna happen. getting those minutes. Yeah. It's just one of those things when you're looking at the series and like the, the shots he can, the type of shots he makes and creates are going to almost more valuable in a series like this one against a team like the Sixers that are throwing junk defenses at you and that it having an extra ball handler out there, if they're going to go smaller. So you wonder, Again, we'll see. It, it probably won't come up again because Tatum's not going to be in foul trouble like that again, probably in the series. And Joe Mazzullo is probably going to, I imagine, just go AT a lot. But if foul trouble does crop up in the backcourt at some point, um, seeing Pritchard over Hauser, um, I think might make some sense here. Um, all right. So let's let's turn the page here to, to game three in Philly. We talked about some adjustments already here, but to wrap it up here, like, I'm curious to think we talked about Embiid already. The the James Harden, you're I feel like our resident James Harden expert, Mike. Um, through years of of close diagnosis in uh in Houston of his play. What what version of James Harden are we gonna see the rest of this series? And what version do the Sixers need from him to even give like give themselves a chance to like put up a fight here if Embiid is at 80% at best the rest of the way? Yeah, I mean I think like I don't know the game game one I did not anticipate I don't think anyone did it wasn't as much of a shock at to me as I think it was to some because like he's a great offensive player he's shown this season um his playmaking is brilliant but he's shown this season like an ability to be super efficient and still still has the step back three can still get to the free throw line doesn't do it as much because of who is on his team but in minutes when he's carrying the offense is more than capable um and when he's like able to just pick who he wants to go one-on-one against he's still elite uh so it didn't totally shock me i think uh, Boston's defense against him in game one, particularly early on where they were just like ducking under screens. Wild. Was weird to me. And that contributed more to his success. Not all of it, but that contributed a lot to his success. And I think the Celtics win that game if they're just a little tighter and execute their defensive game plan or what should have been their defensive game plan better. Um. He's still like he's really good in the mid range. Like he can get step backs in the mid range, and did that even I think were both of his baskets his made baskets in game two step backs from like the elbow. So. Yeah, yeah, like big part of his game. He had two threes. He went over six minus three point line. He had two that literally like seventy five percent of the basketball went through the rim and then popped out. So that's just like terrible luck, but he got to the free throw line. And I think also we should credit the adjustment, which was we're going to put Jalen Brown on this guy and Jalen, like Jalen was amazing. I thought, uh, I'm sure that they showed him the clip of him getting shook on a drive in game <laughs> one over and over. Or even if they didn't, I'm sure Jalen had that play tattooed in his brain for 48 hours. And he came out and was really effective on ball, really bothersome. He's 
more athletic than Harden. He's just as strong. And uh, I think that that matchup could be um, a troublesome one for Harden and for the Sixers if the, if the Celtics choose to stick with it. Uh, so, yeah, like going forward, I really do think that the nine or ten days off that he had between the first round and this series were super beneficial and contributed greatly to the game one. And he doesn't have that uh, for the rest of, well, the rest of the playoffs probably, um, and definitely not the rest of this series. So like his energy level needs to be high. I think they need to tilt more of the offensive responsibility to him. I don't think Embiid can do it right now because of his injury. And I I, I, yeah, I don't think he has another 45 point game in him, to be honest with you. That would be kind of a stunner, but he is capable of going off. He is capable of getting to the step back. And um, if the Celtics are physical with them and if the Celtics can stay out of the bonus, they'll be fine, I think. Yeah, you know that. Like, it's it's all going to now. Can they? not foul me. He got to the free throw line 10 times in game two, but that was a lot of those were inconsequential. Um, and by and large, they've done a good job of not giving him points on a platter um, in mm-hmm. game two, when just getting more physical with him, push the limits. I mean, even, even like Jalen to your point, like he even drew an offensive foul on T- Tucker when he like gave Tucker a little, yeah, you know, jab, and then Tucker got mad and freaking like rammed him in his shoulder in the most obvious thing ever, and being like, "Okay, this is not like, a smart play, not a smart like t- like this is what are you doing?" And so, and that's, but the Celtics just need to play like that, and if they do, it will keep Harden from like and getting getting to his bread and butter spots, if you will, and and yeah, like and with the onus, and I don't think he, like you said, I don't think he can handle that type of onus that the Celtics the the, the Sixers probably need him to do with Embiid being what he is right now so um all right well let's wrap up with this like you've watched this the the glory that is heat next firsthand this series give me a minute here like who who are we going to see in the eastern conference finals right now what's the what's awaiting what i assume either one of these teams will be the obviously the favorite in that series going in but is this uh i just don't am i tell me i just see no way the heat are going to lose that series am i far-fetched to think that um assuming that jimmy can oh really I, yeah. um, I assume I'm assuming Jimmy is going to be back in game three. I guess that's a might be an unfair assumption. OK, yeah, I was going to say, I think the his ankle injury is the most important thing going on right now. Um, even if he does play, how effective is he going to be? That was a pretty bad injury. The fact that he didn't play in game two for this guy, one of the toughest players like of all time for him not to play in that game was pretty telling, I thought. And I don't know what his status is going forward for the rest of the series. Uh, they are such like a, the heat will are just like, you got to kill them. Um, but I think the Knicks got a taste of what their strategy will be. If Jimmy can't go or if Jimmy is limited and that is uh, we're going to take a ton of threes. We're going to play a lot of zone and we're going to muck the game up. Like that's their strategy. And I think that uh healthy Julius Randall, healthy Jalen Brunson 
both of those guys are, are also dealing with ankles. Uh, I, I think that the Knicks should be favored. Um, but again, I don't know what Jimmy Butler's status is. And I'm also just, if you look at kind of like the shot quality numbers throughout this whole postseason, um, Boston has the best effective field goal percentage, like above what their expected effective field goal percentage should be. And the Heat are number two. And both those teams are like kind of blowing everybody else away. I just think like Miami's shot making has been insane from guys who have not been hitting shots all season long. And I think that that I'm waiting for that to come back to earth a little bit, to be honest with you. And uh, when it does, if it does, I think that some of these games won't be as close as they have been. Um, But I I say all that and it's kind of like, Hey, if Jimmy comes back and Jimmy drops 45 or averages 45, the rest of the series, that's going to be trouble. Um, I also just don't think that the heat have like a good response for an aggressive, um, smart Julius Randall because Bam Adebayo has to keep Mitchell Robinson off the offensive glass. And Kevin Love is yeah, Kevin just throw Love. Kevin Love on him. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. So it's that's a tough one. And I, at the same time, they want to go. The Heat really want to go small. They want to spread the floor. They want to shoot their threes. So Randall can be kind of a difference maker, I think. And he had some big, big, big plays in game two. So I don't know. I would. I had. I think. Uh, I think my prediction was like Knicks and six before the series began. Um, I would stick with that. Uh, regardless of Jimmy's health, I do think that he it's that's like this that could be the series right there, though. Um, and we don't really know what it is, so yeah, I think I think it could be Nick's. Uh, it could be, I, I don't, I'm not really giving you a straight answer here, to be mm. honest with you. The more I, the more I talk about it, the more I kind of go back and forth in my head because no, you're... betting against the Heat is just like stupid. <laughs> that, that's where I come from, but you're no, but I think I also underrate, I think I underrate what the Knicks have done. All I mean, they've been a thorn in everyone's side all year and everyone's kind of not slept on them, but like, I feel like this is everyone's riding the, the, the Jimmy Butler wave right now, but if he's hobbled and um, then that's, I don't know if there's a solution to that problem. So that's, and even if he is fine, then the Knicks do have more weapons than functional than obviously the Bucks had in the first round. So, um, Oh, it's going to be, it's going to be fun here. I think that I'd be shocked if that doesn't go like, I almost expect that to go seven at this point, just based on the variables involved and how much um, the, the the punches both those teams can throw. But they have Jimmy Butler has three days now to get ready. The Celtics do not. They're going to be back at it in game three on Friday night down in Philly. Um, Michael Pina, hopefully we see you in Boston next round, making a ceremonious return to the garden. Um, stay tuned for that. Is Hopefully. that guaranteed to happen? Is that going to happen? What's what's the? That's more than likely to happen if the Celtics prevail. Yes. Okay. All right. That's we'll stay tuned for that. We're gonna we're gonna hope that happens here. Make sure you're catching all of Mike's stuff on theRinger.com. What, what do we have coming this week, Mike? What's the? Are we on? Are we doing playoff reaction? We have a uh, a Denver Nuggets column coming out tomorrow. Everyone, nice. go check out all the Celtics fans who love the Nuggets. Um, potential finals matchup, honestly. So if you want to learn more about that team, go check that out. And then, yeah, 
TBD. Playoffs are fun. Might dip my nose into the Warriors Lakers series, which is just wild that that is happening right now. It's uh, uh, a lot of storylines on that one, a lot on the line. So playoffs have been fun. I thought the first round was kind of dumb for a large segment (laughs) of it. To be honest, I hate injuries, hate, you know, the ejections, all that stuff was really stupid, but the playoffs have been like just really great all time, like upsets and classic performances. And um, yeah, it's a lot of fun right now. Yeah, the the unpredictability factors at a high, and then you throw in like the high profile like Warriors Lakers type matchup, which are not only just like fun teams in general right now. That's like I agree with you. This is like put up this postseason with with any of them right now. But we'll be back for more of it as this series rolls on. Again, thanks for Mike for hopping on. Make sure you check him out on the Ringer and all of, um, an appearance on a number of podcasts within their network as well. And uh, we'll be back with you guys this weekend after Game Three. <laughs>